0: So earlier today, when I pick up the paper, I'm looking at this story that is based on a report by a group called Civic Action, and it has found that half the workforce in the greater Toronto and Hamilton area, more than 1.5 million people, according to them, have experienced a mental health issue, costing the economy $1.7 billion, half of the workers have had a mental health issue. But as I look at this, to be honest with you, the 1.7 billion is a large number, but it's really the secondary issue in this story to me. It really is because when you we have heard for years about the numbers that are involved, the who who has mental health problems, how many people have it. And this is this is a, a an off the charts number that doesn't seem at first blush to make a lot of sense. Well, here to try and explain it to us. Uh, To help us get through this is Dr. Nick Cates. He is the chair of the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Neurosciences at McMaster University. He joins us now. Doctor, thanks for doing this this evening.
1: Oh, it's a pleasure.
0: Let's start at the very beginning here because my understanding from listening and hearing things and reading things for years now is that within the psychiatric and mental health community, the accepted number for mental health cases, mental health issues over the years has been roughly 20%. One in five people have had some kind of mental health issue that has either required treatment or has been identified. How do we suddenly, seemingly overnight, jump to 50%? Well, I think 50%
1: isn't so different from what we already know. Uh, I think the the key is the time period about which people are being asked. So most of the surveys that have come up with the figures that you've quoted around 20% have said, in the last month or in the last six months, have you...
0: Oh, We lost the doctor. We'll, uh, Luke, we'll, uh, we'll get him back on the line here. Something just happened with the, uh, with the phone line. But the, the, the story, as, um, as we wait for him to get back, basically says, as I say, that within the greater Toronto-Hamilton area, that it has been a an overwhelming number of people, and over—I mean, a, just an enormous number. And yes, as, as the doctor was starting to say, and we'll get back to him as uh, when, as soon as we get him back here. This is within a recent time period for sure. Nonetheless, it is—it remains a staggeringly high number every 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 week when Ted Michaels is on here doing Wellness Wednesday. Shockingly, on Wednesdays. He's talking about these cases. They are out there. There are certainly people who have mental health issues, for sure. But Dr. Cates is back with us now, and you were just saying, Doctor, about the timing of this, that it's within the last month or so.
1: Yeah, so if you ask someone, have you had a mental health problem in the last six months, which is what we do in most of the surveys looking at the the amount of mental, uh, uh, mental health problems, mental illness in the community then we get the 20% figure. But if you change the question and you say, have you ever experienced a mental health problem? Then we know from uh, other studies already taken place, the numbers are are much closer to 50%. So this in a way does reflect the true prevalence, the the lifetime prevalence of of mental health problems in our community, It, it, it just reflects the enormous number of people who, at various stages in their life, will struggle with uh, mental health problems or mental illness.
0: I do have to ask, and, and this is, um, I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit, in a sense, but there is a, the, the most, many of, correct me if I'm wrong here, but many of the diagnoses, many of the things, the the mental health issues that are identified come from the American Psychiatric Association's Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, correct?
1: Uh. Yes when oh. we talk about diagnosing mental illness uh, that 's the uh, uh, the framework we use most commonly in north america
0: and as you go through it, there are obviously within that there are um, accepted for for the general public uh, mental health issues depression and and other things that we understand, and that no you know maybe we joked about once upon a time we now probably know someone who 's had it or understand it a lot better. Yet there are some things in there that I think we still look at and say, have have we simply changed the barometer or the level of what constitutes a mental health issue to absorb a lot more people? And I, I mean, a couple examples of one of them, I was reading today that caffeine withdrawal is now listed as a mental health disorder, apparently within that guidebook. Well, there's a lot of people who would say, well, I have that. Is that what we're talking about? Are these... I guess what I'm asking, are the, when we talk about the 50%, are these what many people would say are legitimate or understandable or recognized mental health things? Or are these some of them a little bit ticky-tack that we get up to these numbers?
1: No, I, I wouldn't use, I, I, I mean, I would say they're all legitimate. I think we need to be careful about medicalizing um Uh, Many mental health problems that are stress-related, related related to the workplace, related to family, and and which are transient, so they last for a while and they go, Um, and not to necessarily confuse those with mental illnesses uh, like, um, as you said, uh, psychotic illnesses, depression, anxiety, um, which may have a, a very different cause and a very different course. Uh, having said that there are many people who don't have a, you know a, a diagnosis of a mental illness who are significantly disabled or affected by the problems that they're dealing with on a day-to-day basis and often the solutions lie in dealing with the factors that are causing that
0: and and, and absolutely i mean i, I i'm not going to sit here and suggest that somehow mental illness is su- for everybody is not Real It is not real. Of course it is. We know that those exist for sure. But you talk about something that is transient versus something that is ongoing. So, uh, for example, again, another one, if when this was done within the last month or so, uh, when this survey was done, if I had woken up and I had been feeling blue because the weather was bad and the sky was gray and I was maybe sort of almost self-diagnosing as having seasonal affective disorder, Would that have then counted into these numbers, and would that be a legitimate mental health issue number that would then be counted against these survey numbers?
1: I think it depends, and I'm not sure exactly how the questions were framed, but usually um, what we ask is on, you know, more often than not, have you experienced this particular symptom? So on more days than not, over the last month, have you experienced stress in the workplace? Have you felt sad or down? Uh, Have you had difficulty motivating yourself?
0: I spoke today uh, by email with a doctor by the name of Alan Francis, who I know in the psychiatric community is a bit of a controversial figure at times. He's the founding editor of the Journal of Personality Disorders and the Journal of Psychiatric Practice. Uh, Not everybody obviously agrees with him in some things he says, but his quote to me was, it's careless diagnosis. Human nature is pretty constant. And it led me to wonder, are we... Today, overdiagnosing mental illness, do, do we too easily throw things under the banner of mental illness?
1: Um, I think sometimes there's a danger that we could be, um, and again, um, you know even uh, though someone may have a mental illness, it doesn't mean that the reason that they're struggling in their workplace is because of the mental illness. It may just be because of particular conditions, or it may be to do with family-work balance that's, that's affecting their mood. Um, so I, I think, again, we, we do need to be careful about making a diagnosis. And I, I think what's sometimes more useful is, rather than jump to a diagnosis, is to think more about the problems that someone is dealing with. Mm. Or so they're having a problem with their mood, or they're feeling stressed, or they feel anxious in these particular situations, or they feel overwhelmed when they have to cope with situation A, B, or C. Because once we start to think in that way, I think it makes it much easier for us to think about solutions.
0: Well, yeah, and you know, one of the fascinating things about this is if this was, if if there was a study out that said 50% of workers in the Toronto-Hamilton region have suffered cancer at some point, that would be we wouldn't be simply trying to treat the patients as they come through. We would say there has got to be something environmental or going on here that is causing all these people to get cancer. This Are we doing that with mental health then? Are we saying that there has to be something, if the numbers are this high, that is causing this? Or are we simply trying to treat the people?
1: Yeah, no, I think it's a good point because what we're seeing is that more and more people are having difficulty coping with stress in their particular workplace. And I think we need to focus more on what we can do to change an individual's environment to make it easier for them to cope and to look at what we can do to prevent things. So if I can give you one example, this was a study done in one hospital in the United States. And they looked at every single unit. Uh, So they looked at about 30 different wards or units in the hospital. And they rated, they they developed a scale um, to measure the supportive climate. And they looked at just four things, the degree of trust amongst people working, the degree of respect, the degree of openness, and the degree of psychological safety. So did someone feel okay about taking a risk in, in saying something? And they divided up the workplace between those that had very, high scores, so the very positive environment and those that had low. And not only did they find that when they looked at things like workplace satisfaction was four times higher in the high scoring group, absentee rates were lower, vacancy rates were lower, um, injuries were down 15 times in the units that felt more cohesive and connected. But when they also looked at how the units performed, whether it was infection rates or pressure ulcers, or whether it's just looking at medication errors, the, the units that had worked on creating a supportive environment were performing three or four times better than those units that were more dysfunctional and, and where people really didn't get on or didn't feel supported. So I think that we know an enormous amount about what could happen in the workplace to contribute to these problems. Plus, I think the fact that there are a lot of new challenges facing people around much less job security, um, fewer benefits from work, and and work extending more and more into the family environment. So I I think these are some of the things that we really need to think about and focus on if we're going to create a work environment where people feel more content, uh, feel more supported, and and will be able to contribute more.
0: Do you believe that this level of mental health issue existed in previous generations with of, of workforces, or is this new?
1: Um, it, it's very difficult to say. I think work generally is more stressful today for a variety of reasons, including the fact that there are uh, you know there is much less job security, that their work extends way beyond the nine to five when it used to end. So work family balance is, is more of a challenge. I think stigma is starting to change as well. I think people feel more comfortable talking about having a mental health problem. Um, not always, and there's still not only people who worry about how the environment is going to react to them, but people who actually feel, you know, that they we, we use the phrase self-stigma. They stigmatize themselves because somehow or other They feel if they're not coping, they must be doing something wrong, or somehow or other, they're failing. So I I think the fact that stigma is changing lets people be a little bit more open uh, in talking about these issues and bringing them into the open.
0: I read something else today that I I thought was fascinating. It's a theory, I'm not necessarily subscribing to it, but I want to throw it out there for you because I thought it was a really interesting idea. And that was, there were people, certainly, when you talk about how there's pressure at work, not everybody back in the 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s loved their job. There were people who hated their work, I'm sure, uh, back then. But the suggestion is that we have, in our modern society, become rather narcissistic as a people. And therefore, when I'm not feeling contented. I'm not feeling valued. I'm not feeling good. Uh, I, I'm owed that. I'm owed the right to feel good about what I'm doing to feel satisfied. And if I'm not, there must be something else going on and it's not my fault. It's an external thing. And people chalk that up to mental health issues. Thoughts?
1: Um, yeah, I, I I think most people would agree that there is maybe much more of a an individualistic culture and maybe less of a collective culture than maybe there there, was 20, 30, 40 years ago. Uh, I'm not sure that I would say that directly contributes to mental health problems, but I, I think the other side, that if people aren't looking out for each other, whether it be in the workplace or outside of the workplace, and if people aren't willing just to take that extra half a step to look after someone who may be struggling, um, and, and I think that is perhaps one of the um, products of, of what you're talking about. Then I think it just makes it a little bit harder for each of us when we're when we're struggling with a, a personal problem.
0: Yeah, because again, I wasn't alive back in the war years, but I, I have to think that the stresses of having kids away at war and people going to fight and everything it, it, if we it's impossible to compare eras but we didn't hear about these kind of things back then but i have to believe the stresses and the 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 challenges and maybe the depression was there was it simply that we didn't know about it was it simply that it wasn't talked about or has something actually changed that we deal with these things differently
1: um i think both i think we didn't um We didn't understand these kinds of things in the same way that we do now. So, for example, the concept of post-traumatic stress really didn't come into existence until the 1950s, sort of based upon wartime experiences. But it doesn't mean that before that people hadn't been experiencing trauma and hadn't had exactly the same kind of symptoms as someone would have today. I think the, the... culture was probably much more to keep those problems to yourself. There weren't the same kinds of resources and supports that are available today. I mean, we didn't have the same kinds of mental health systems. We didn't have access to the same kinds of services and supports. So I, I think people dealt with their individual distress and their individual problems in uh, in very different ways from the ways that, that they do today.
0: It's a fascinating study, I'll be honest, because the number just seems, and you've explained it, but the number just seems so incredibly high to think that one out of every two people is dealing with some kind of mental health issue or has de- dealt with some kind of mental health issue. It, it, I don't know, it's very difficult to wrap, wrap a head around that, that, that the number could be that big and the problem could be that huge.
1: Yeah, And, and I think it, it does highlight the very high rates of mental health problems in our communities, And the importance of really focusing on what we can do not just to treat but to prevent them and reducing the the stigma so that people are less anxious or less afraid about talking about them. And, you know, things like this, you know, conversation that we're having is just a tiny part of beginning to change the environment in which people can feel more comfortable about seeking help.
0: Dr. Nick Cates, the head of McMaster's psychiatry department, thanks so much for doing this tonight. Really appreciate it.
1: Thanks very much.